Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you need anything from the podcast or would like to suggest a future guest, please email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. My guest today is Dr. Ori Geiger. Ori is the managing partner and founder of Axelmed. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss his background in the medical device space, Axelmed, and where they are putting money to use and where they are investing, the flow of capital in the medtech space as a whole. We get into the current environment, how COVID has changed things, advice for startup companies, and we really dive into detail on the environment in Israel. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my discussion with Dr. Ori Geiger from Axelmed. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dwayne. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, so let's start out with a, a little introduction to to you and your background in in health tech and with with Axelmed. But but let's start with yourself first. You know how did how did you get into the industry and what's your history? So uh, Uri Geiger, uh, I got into the industry. I guess I was born into it. My parents uh, were physicians. Uh, and I was born and raised in the campus of this rural hospital where uh, my father was head of pediatric uh, back in the days mm-hmm. uh, and, and basically looked at uh, what my parents did uh, as guidance. Eventually, after my service with the Israeli Air Force, uh, I decided to take a different avenue and focus more on finance uh, and got my PhD at Columbia in law and economics, focusing on global equity markets. Totally uh, another area. But I was attracted to entrepreneurship, which was in my blood. Uh, and back in 99, I decided to leave New York City, to leave Wall Street and go back uh, to Israel to create my first startup. I've been uh, a three-time entrepreneur, as CEO founder of startup companies. Uh, one sold to private equity, the other to strategic. And the third, uh, I took public, later became the chairman and, uh, and sold it. So I've been a CEO and founder of uh, companies in the space for many years. And uh, when I turned 40, uh, I decided to move into the investment, started Axelmed originally as an accelerator for medical device. That's the origin of the name. Uh, but later along my career, I moved through more later stage and we can discuss what have brought me to uh, focus on that, but have been involved in starting companies. We mentioned Mamic, part of our seed program, but there are many others uh, as a venture investor and uh, back in uh, early 16, uh, started a dedicated buyout fund. That was the Axelmed One Fund, uh, based on a lot of work that uh, I've done on private money before. Uh, moved to the US again with my family. And uh, now we are already in our uh, second uh, dedicated buyout fund, uh, fully invested the first one and have few exits and already have done three transactions from the second fund. Wow, and, and how, how large were these funds? Did you mention that? 
Well, the current fund is a 400 million dollar. It's uh, okay. we like uh, to be a very big fish in a small pond and not. Uh, we like to play in the lower market. Actually, we define ourselves as a lower market health tech buyout fund, not lower middle market like most others would define. Uh, our hard cap was 400 for a reason because we look for usually smaller companies and the larger private equity firms. And our focus on this sector of healthcare technologies, it's not a healthcare fund, it's specifically around healthcare technologies, medical device, health, uh, healthcare IT, as well as uh, technology enabled services allow us to be very specific, very focused on small companies in the space. And uh, overall, we like what we do. We are highly operational and uh, also uh, our returns to investor put us as the top of the performer among uh, private, equ private equity funds. Okay, so so you're putting your your capital to use in devices, diagnostics, digital health, like you said. Um, are there focuses on therapeutic areas or? So we are focusing on anything which is true medical. It's not aesthetic. It's not wellness. But we have no specific in that. It's sufficient that we do not do any pharma, like many healthcare fund, nor do we do services like consolidation of clinics and the dermatology, dental clinics that many other private equity firms do. We really like technology. Our origin comes from technology and the interaction between healthcare and technology. So within that space, we don't have a specific therapeutic area, but uh, we are very focused on, as I said, on the device and the healthcare, uh, digital health sector. Okay. And so... Um... Well, let's let's start with let's start with this the, the current environment that um, med device companies are are facing with with raising capital, but 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 also uh, you know discussing with private equity and and I'd just be curious, you know, what does the current environment look like? What are your thoughts on it? Um, because that's that's usually the first question that all entrepreneurs are are, are going to want to know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And as I said, I've been an entrepreneur of three companies and also I founded uh, the Axomed and another uh, fund in the past. Uh, so I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. I like mm -hmm. to define myself, uh, myself as, as despite not being really entrepreneur anymore, uh, but uh, being a partner to the entrepreneur, having sit, sit on their side. For example, we usually provide response within 24 hours to any approach. Mm -hmm. uh, I've learned this lesson waiting for weeks for funds to come back to us. So at least an initial response is due within 24 hours and then a more elaborate response within one week. Uh, so uh, certainly for entrepreneurs, this is a great environment. Uh, the sector is booming. Uh, some would say maybe too much uh, and I would I tend to agree. Uh, the amount of capital available is much more than we ever used to. There is flow of funds both into public and private money as a result of uh, low interest rate, uh, and no other alternatives. Uh, certainly in public markets, we also see phenomena of day traders that inflate uh, shares. The SPAC that is now cooling, but the SPAC has been another fuel to valuations uh, in the, at least in the last year, less lately. So a lot of capital. Technology is seen now for good reasons. I think that's on the good side as a good solution to reduce cost and improve outcome. Uh, the tech sector, by large, uh, post-COVID is uh, experiencing very positive environment. And same goes to the medical devices sector and certainly to digital health, which is even uh, a hotter area. 
So I think the environment for entrepreneurs is, is great and better than it used to be years ago. Okay. So you, you brought up, you brought up COVID. Um, you brought it up how, how it's pulled maybe digital health right into the spotlight uh, for sure. Um, and, and we've talked about that on the podcast multiple times. Uh, our first guest, uh, our, our episode number one, um, which was like May of 2020, was with Duncan Turner from uh, SOSV. And, and he had brought that up that, you know, COVID had a way of pooling certain technologies forward in a vacuum, right? Um, but I'm curious on the investment side of things, did COVID play a big factor or, or how did that change things? So COVID played very big factor in two reverse uh, orders. The first one, when COVID started in late March and in Q2 of 2020, the market was paralyzed. Uh, everybody mm -hmm. were, whoa. I mean, all clinics closed. Uh, some felt that, wow, the world has collapsed on us. Many lenders uh, became under pressure and uh, thinking on their positions. And that's created an environment that was uh, very good for investors, at least at that time. Uh, we were able to complete, for example, uh, three transactions in Q2 of uh, 2020. Cool. Uh, one of them was uh, a company called Neuropace, where we were able to recap the company on a $20 million valuation and then take it public six months later on 600 million. Uh, that's one example. Another, we took a public company in dry eye diagnostics that uh, at peak traded at $300 million valuation. We took it private for $1 million. We acquired the companies that had six times more cash in the bank for $1 million. That was through a debt arrangement, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are very happy with that. And we also were able to do a big portion of our strategy is to acquire companies to make them better operationally, but then to add and buy and build through add-on acquisitions. So we were able to do a major tacking acquisition to one of our portfolio companies that has transformed this company uh, from, and this company is also now in a liquidity process, uh, call it uh, less than 12 months after uh, at the value, which is uh, many, many folds than what it used to be. So Q2 of 2020 was a good time for investors and less for companies. That's what effect number one. But then when people understood the world is not going to collapse, uh, vaccines are going to come earlier than uh, anticipated. And indeed they came in December of 2020. Everything reversed. We have seen this in public markets, right? From the deep of uh, late March to the peaks that uh, we have seen since Q4 and Q1 and continuing. Uh, pricing has gone up. A lot of capital uh, infused into the market, as I mentioned, and many to the tech sector. So now we have seen the reverse phenomena. Companies that uh, were at that time, we gave another offer for another company that was at $1.5. It's now at about 25 but that's many of those. Uh, so companies have gone, many companies in the sector are 10 times higher than the value in April of 2020. So I think the market has response as the market is in too much in a Q2 of 2020 to the negative, And now it's overinflated to the other side. 
eventually there will be equilibrium. That's uh, what always happened. Uh, but COVID uh, is responsible for those two phenomena, among others, like the emergence of remote monitoring that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Um, so before I, I want to get to advice for startup companies, uh, because I think it's it's valuable, right? I mean, like you said, you've been an entrepreneur your whole life. Um, and even now you're working with hand in hand with entrepreneurs uh, every day. But before we get there, in terms of when you guys are evaluating investments, what are one, two, three of the biggest things you're looking for when 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 you're evaluating companies that that maybe aren't so obvious? I mean, I assume team is is a big deal for you beyond just the technology. Do you let me let me just actually be direct? Do you value team over technology? It depends on the stage of the company. I know it's a complex answer, but uh, mm-hmm. at an earlier stage, I think the team uh, is key. So there is no replacement for a founder and a team because so many things can happen. I mean, if, when I look even on my experience, we started to develop product A, we ended in product B and we sold the company on another company. So it's not that technology we raised capital from venture initially that brought us to the exit. So I think in earlier stage, it's the quality of the team. The more the company mature, and that's where I put my venture hat. As I said, we have venture activity in Israel, which is separate from our US activity, which is the majority of the capital. So on the venture side, team is number one. Uh, But as long as the company mature, you find that, uh, and it's not anymore dependent on a single entrepreneur, a team can be replaced. So we like to find the right team. But in many cases, we find companies that actually have terrible team, disaster, which is great as an investor. I like those companies because I know that eventually the team is the key, but I can replace and upgrade the team, either augment or replace management and make it a better company. And we have done it many times. So I think team, super important in early stage, less important the more a company mature and the product mature. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's good advice. I mean, it's actually, it's funny the way, the way you answered that it almost in my mind validated the importance of the team, because like you're saying, um, you can get that technology and replace the team with, you know, improving it, right. You could take it from a B team to an A team. So it's almost like you're saying you still need an A team. It's just, you're in control of it at that point as the investor. So, okay. That's helpful. Um, Okay. Um, and you kind of teased it out a little bit, but I, I want to wait to get to the, the Israel piece as well. Ad, advice for startup companies. Um, let's start there. So advice uh, to startup, uh, I think a couple. First, uh, as look, when you look for investor, if you have, of course, if you have the leisure of selection, See that uh, the chemistry was a specific person you work with. It's not just the brand of the firm. Eventually, uh, even in big firms, it's a, a person, a partner that will be your pivot, will be provide you advice and also support your case in good and bad times. And bad times will come. And you need someone in the firm that you trust and like. So don't look just on the overall brand of the firm, but try to see if there is a specific individual that have enough power 
no offense, but the VP or an associate will not help you. You need a partner that believe in you and will uh, take your case uh, in good and bad time. Second advice is, uh, despite the cliche of you raise money where you can, when you can, that's always a good advice. Don't raise too much capital. I've seen too many times that companies uh, use uh, an opportunity to raise a lot of capital. And there is an axiom that when you have the capital, you're going to waste it, not necessarily efficiently. So uh, I like companies uh, to be somehow lean and, and in some, not starve, but uh, be a cognitive of the expense because if, to, if you raise too much money, you're eventually going to use it in a less efficient way and have a less return on capital, mm -hmm. a lower return on capital. Okay. Um, and then in terms of, you know, just med tech companies being, being successful, right? You've seen a lot of these. Is, is, there a, is there a trait or a characteristic or something that you say, hey, you know, every, every company has to do this, right? To, to, to be successful. Is there anything along, along those lines as well? And I know that's, that's a question that, you know, I, I, I ask of a lot of people who have been there, done that. Right. Um, so um, if you're familiar with uh, Manny Villafano, um, yeah. he had founded uh, um, St. Jude and, and a number of different companies. I had asked he and he has not been on the podcast yet. But when I've when I've talked to him, you know, I, I always try to get that perspective of, you know, what's that what's that 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 piece of advice that 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 common characteristic he sees amongst the companies? Is, is there something that that you see? So. It's always dangerous to generalize. And I've seen uh, companies that I thought they were good and went bust and companies that uh, I thought they were average and went, did better. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, eventually, uh, it's uh, very hard to be accurate all the time. You're just trying to be more accurate more times than you're making mistakes. And, you, and I'm making mistakes. Uh, maybe some others don't, but I surely am. But I think that eventually the fundamentals win and the fundamentals uh, to success are one we touch upon is the team mm -hmm. the second is more than the technology is is there a real need and that improve patient care so when i look at a company i look okay this is what they're doing or aspire to do is it going to improve the life of patients and do it in a more efficient way and save costs to the system as a whole, to the healthcare system. So it has to meet three criteria in order, at least for me as an investor and, and for my experience as an entrepreneur, to be a winner. Uh, and being a value investor coming out of Colombia, that's the only thing I know. Uh, I look on fundamentals and, and believe that long-term they win, although in the short-term, not necessarily. It's and I didn't mention technology even for once because technology can be developed. It's a team, the ability to improve patient care while reducing overall cost of healthcare because eventually the U.S. healthcare system will collapse the way it's going with the amount of the way it's, I can answer, it's a, it's a topic for another conversation, but this is a very, very sick uh, system that I doubt if there is a cure for which and I can point on two, three points why I think it's uh, ill and, and, and chronically ill. Uh, but uh, one way to help it, not to cure it, 
uh, and at least to maintain it uh, alive is to try to reduce costs in any product that comes to the market. If you add cost to the system, it's won't in this environment. It's won't. It's not going to succeed. Okay. Yeah, that is definitely a conversation, probably a full conversation. Um, and you know what? I'd love to discuss it. So, so, and you're you're welcome on the podcast anytime. Um, Two questions that came up while you were talking. I've heard this notion before that um, investors, in the, especially in the med device space, and and probably even more so in like traditional medical device, are looking for platform technologies over, you know, just just a single use um, device. And I, I know that that term can get confusing in the med tech space, but, but in terms of, Hey, this is only going to treat one issue. Is there any truth to that? Because I, I didn't push back on, on the interview, the person who, who had mentioned this on the, on the podcast until after I had listened to it again. And I, and I wish I had, because I see the, I see the point he was making, um, that platform technologies are more attractive because they could treat multiple markets. Um, however, it seems like there's a lot of devices that have been successful that are only treating, you know, a, a singular outcome. So, is there truth to that? Have you seen that trend, or or no? Well, I think that uh, it's uh, it's a too edge sword because uh, for us this for a startup company to try to develop and prove because many companies claim that our technology can be used to xyz but eventually it's the only larger companies can really test it because to try to develop to for more than one or two specific indications that's result in use of resources that is inefficient and small companies cannot accomplish it so Yes, as a general statement, if you ask me, you can have this product that can treat 10 disease or one disease. Oh, sure, I want the 10 disease. But in practicality, if the company is going out to try to pursue many indications, especially if they're in different medical sectors and require different specialties and different clinical trials, that's challenging and sometimes may result in a failure just by trying to go too wide. So uh, yes, over time, if there is ability to develop a product for more than one indication, it's great. Uh, but as long as if you have a great product that treat a large enough disease, it's improved outcome and reduced cost, that's good enough. Uh, you can always at later stage, when you're a larger company or being acquired, develop it farther. Okay, it's helpful. Um, the other question, and this actually, we haven't really touched on it yet at all, um, but but I just, uh, so I had mentioned that, uh, you know, we have the the MedTech money side of Project MedTech um, and that, that kind of um, subset of episodes. Well, the episode I just um, edited was one that was speaking in relation to a crossover round. Um, now I had never heard of it before and which isn't surprising. I'm not, I'm not an expert in the finance world. Right. But, but I've, I, I, I generally know the steps of, of, of what a company might go through. I'm assuming you've heard of a crossover round. What, what are your opinions on that? Is, is this something you see often? Is this something, you know, Axelmed uh, partakes in or, 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 you know, 
so we so first uh, a crossover round is is certainly uh, very common and more common than not in the ipo of emerging technologies today okay. so when you have a product uh, and a company that you want to take to the public market and especially now that the multiples are at record you can use potentially three avenues uh, one which is the main road and i think the best is a traditional ipo there is the SPAC avenues that uh, has been used a lot and now probably overused. And there is the old SPAC which called shell or skeleton companies when you merge into a shell company, which is uh, another way. But the main road and eventually result in the best outcome if the company is qualified for that is a traditional IPO. And to go public's traditional IPO, in many cases, it's advisable about a year before, uh, but at least few quarters before to feed the cap table with public market investors that can first provide the last capital to enable the company to accelerate growth ahead of going public, but also kind of assure that when you go public, those investors will come back and put a lot of more capital into your IPO and making the book oversubscribe in a successful IPO. So crossover is a way to come from private to public, that's why it's called crossover. You're crossing over from private to public. It's for companies that are ready or almost ready for public markets. I strongly believe that that's uh, the main uh, and the main road. And I had the two calls today on a crossover round we're now doing in one of our companies as part of an IPO. So we do it for a living. Uh, also in NeuroPay that I mentioned earlier, when we came in, we let the investment, the investment we brought in some crossover investors, although we could put the capital, we wanted to see the cap table for an IPO. And that eventually resulted in a 70 time oversubscribed book when we went public, public six months later. Okay. So certainly familiar, certainly important, and I highly advise to use it when possible. Okay, awesome, interesting. Um, okay, so I wanna move on to, uh, I wanna talk a little bit about Israel um, because Anyone who's in the med device space, if they don't know, um, Israel is just a amazing place for medical device development. Um, and it's, it's something that I talk about frequently with people who aren't in the med device space. Um, you know, uh, there's this, there's this thing in, 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 in the, in the U S it's like, okay, where are the, the, the med tech hubs? Right. And it's like, oh, Boston, Minneapolis, San Francisco. Um, and then there's these smaller cities who, you know, will say, oh, well, we got a great one. We have, a, we have a great area as well for, for med device. And I always say, yeah, there's there's there is the med med tech capital of the world is Israel, right? I mean, Israel has what eight million people as a population? Almost nine, correct? Eight and something. Yeah. Okay, eight or nine million, and the amount of technology that just comes out of Israel is is astonishing, and it it seems to come out in a um a very mature place as well, right? The companies. Are, are, are legitimate. There's just not a bunch of companies that are spinning out and, and then dying years later. So I'm curious, you have a long career in Israel. Um, you obviously have a, a ton of experience in the US. Um, 
let's kind of talk about the two, maybe set the stage a little bit of, of, of Israel and then compare the two, the positives, the, the, the negatives, Israel versus U.S. And, and, and whatnot. Yeah, and I think the two coexist and complement. So Israel mm -hmm. is indeed uh, a technology or medtech hub. It's, it's called, uh, for good reason, the startup nation. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, I'm always critique, uh, uh, it is a startup nation point, meaning you don't see large companies emerging out of Israel or hardly can see. In, in, especially in the medtech, there are some technology companies in like Checkpoint and, and others in, in, in cybersecurity. But by large, Israelis are great in innovation and early stage development. And the combination of the Israeli uh, nation character, if you're an Israeli, you don't want to work for a large, I didn't work, didn't want to work for Wall Street. I had great place in, I got, I was 30, I had a place in Tribeca, I got good salaries. But I will not work for corporate America. I want to build my own company. And I'm one of millions. It's every Israeli dreams on his startup. So that's one. Every Israeli physician is frustrated because he work hours and getting paid only for the time and for salaries which are a fraction of the US. So his dream is to be part of a startup, to create an equity value. So you have the engineer that doesn't want to work for JNJ, you want to create a startup. You have the physicians that just want to think on ideas and create equity value. And then you have the government. People like to speak badly about governments. And in Israel, the government established since 1992 a program to support early stage innovation. MEMIC that we mentioned was part of this innovation. We placed $100,000. The Israeli government put 900000 so all they want is a matching by a reputable investor that is on their list of, you know, uh, license. And they give nine times this money for free. Wow. If you need a million dollars to start a company in Israel, that's easy. In the U.S., mm -hmm. to get the first million, it's the hardest. In Israel, it's the easier thing in, in the world. You're a physician. You have an idea. You tell the government by email, I have an idea. They send you a check for $25,000 so you can send, prepare a business plan. You send the business plan. It go to this program, if you find an investor like Axelmed and many others, not just, that can place 100, the government will give you the additional 900. Wow. Uh, as a grant. So basically, the combination of seed capital, Israeli nature of entrepreneurship, and a, a very strong medical communities that uh, try to be involved in this, create a good ground for development of early stage ideas. And Israel generates about 150 new medtech companies every year, 150. That's more than California, which has 50 million. It's more than, of course, New York and Massachusetts combined. So certainly in terms of early stage innovation, Israel is number one, not from the U.S. as a whole, but larger than any state in the U.S. and larger than U.K., France, or Germany combined in terms of medtech innovation. Wow. So that's the good thing. On the other hand, the oversupply and over desire to be part of a startup result in most of those companies being rubbish. Because mm -hmm. if you have an idea and you're a physician that encounter a problem in a surgery, that doesn't mean it's really applicable for many patients and in larger markets. Also that some disconnect between this small island, Israel, as you know, is an island. It says that see on the one side and has 
other non-friendly nations around it. So that basically there are no immediate markets. So you're far away from a large market like the US. If you live in Minneapolis, you like the heat in the summer and the cold in the winters, so you live in Minneapolis, you have so much more to sell around and build the company and get interaction, not just on the one physician or two that you speak to. So the result is that first, many of the Israeli products are inapplicable. Having said that, still from 150, you get 50 that are good products. And then you encounter the second problem. As good as Israelis are great in innovation, they are very, very mediocre at best at commercialization of those. Because that's require, as I mentioned, the market, different managerial skills, which are different than R&D skills. Israelis are great in problem solving. They think out of the box. They can solve problems. They can develop prototypes on a very low budget. But taking them into full prioritization and certainly to commercial, that's a challenge that very few Israeli companies have ever were ever able to do. So either the solution is being sold for larger consolidator in the US, that's one solution. Another is Axelmet. I mean, I started Axelmet as a bridge between Israel and the US when I moved to the US. We buy commercial companies here and we buy innovation from Israel, like the, I mentioned in one deal that we did last summer in Israel, but we use as, we, as a bridge and we get this innovation into already established commercial platforms. Or you die, because in the history of the state of Israel, there are less than five companies that got $200 million revenue as independent companies over 75 years, less than five. Oh. Okay. So great startup nation, but they need the US discipline, the US capital and the US market in order to be able to create great products. And that's where the two come together. Okay. And you're kind of bridging that gap. I'm one solution, of course. Yeah, other, right. Sure. I don't want to say that, that this is a, you know, excellent yeah. uh, only, but uh, of course right. we are a main bridge for that. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, okay. Um, let's see here. Well, geez, that covers a lot of the questions I had off the get go. Um, let me ask you a few others. Uh, how can organizations maintain continuous innovation? Right. So let me set the stage. Okay. So I work for LabCorp. Uh, that's my, that's my day job. Um, and, and LabCorp owns Covance, right? So eventually we're, we're, we're kind of, by the time this is released, Covance will, the name will be dropped. will only be LabCorp. Um, you know, we focus a lot on, <clears throat> Um, drug companies. Uh, I focus on device, right? And, and something you see in a lot of drug companies, even startups, right? Uh, even small companies, whatever it is, drug companies have biotech, whatever. They have a usually a healthy pipeline of small molecules, right? Med device, not so much. You know, um, you might have one, maybe a second, possibly a third um, device in the queue. So how do you continue to innovate as a med tech company um, when it, it might be a little more difficult than, than, a, than a pharma or biotech? So now we move from the startup phase because continuous innovation, you already need to have usually... Uh, a more established infrastructure to do more than discuss the platform than one product. Sure. I think that uh, the lifeline of any company, it's, it's pipeline. 
mm-hmm. in the companies that we uh, control and Axomed uh, by large, we control most of our portfolio companies from our buyout fund, not of course on the venture fund, that's a different uh, story. Uh, we in- invest a lot in R&D, organic R&D. In many cases, I think we use Israel as R&D center, like I'll be on uh, next week, visit one. We have 50 engineers in one of our companies based in Kassaria, Israel. Uh, they're much cheaper and more innovative. Uh, than many other places. Uh, so you need to keep continuous R&D and also to grow through tech and acquisition, which I mentioned also earlier. But I totally agree that without uh, innovation, uh, the company will have no future because the product eventually will age and, uh, and a company to continue to innovate. You see it more in larger companies, smaller companies struggle to get enough cash for, for continuous innovation. But as the more you grow, you're able to raise more capital to make money from sales, of course. That's uh, the, ga- the goal eventually, not just investors, but to generate rev- significant revenues that will enable R&D. And I think it's certainly possible. You just need to be uh, something in your conscious that you understand that the value is based on the future, not the past. Okay. All right. And let me ask one more question. Um, and then, you know, we can wrap it up a little bit. Um, from a um, novice perspective, right? It seems like as a company moves through their process, they've successfully, you know, achieved, let's say, FDA approval. They've successfully launched their product in a regional market. Now they're starting to look at exit plans, right? And and do they engage private equity and try to really scale, or do they? you know, try to exit to a strategic and take advantage of that path. I don't, I don't know if that's, you know, how it actually goes or not. So my question to you is, is, is private equity, is like, is Axelmed a competitor to someone like Medtronics or Johnson and Johnson's venture arm, or is it more or less a partner? Um, you know, is that, is there a couple avenues there? And I apologize if the question's confusing, but that's something that is beyond my level of expertise. And I think it's beyond a lot of first time entrepreneurs expertise, and they don't really understand it until they get to that stage. Yeah. So I think that uh, it uh, depends if you speak in an accident being having both venture and, and, and private equity arms, I can speak for both as a venture, usually partner. And we have JJ to see, uh, Metronic, uh, Boston, and, and many other partner with us in our companies. We are a strong mm-hmm. believer, Edwards, uh, you name it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I keep good relationship with the CEOs of, you know, of those organizations, uh, Mike Mohani, Mike Musalem, uh, Alex Gorski, and, and we like to partner with them. They're a good partner, and eventually this partnership may lead uh, to an acquisition. So as a venture, you look to partner as a way to create uh, exit opportunity. Uh, as for the private equity arm, uh, we usually don't, we don't invest in startups. We buy larger companies. Uh, and those are usually in uh, too small. When we acquire them, uh, at least our focus and what makes us different and enable us to be a top performer among any fund in the world, we are in the top three performer on private equity, any, any small fund in the world, is that we look for companies that are a bit more challenged for the strategic to buy, uh, that have either outdated product, uh, uh, we discussed that bad management team over leverage, 
We improve them through both operation and increasing innovation internally and externally through tacking. And then we look on the strategic or as potential buyers as, an, as the first choice or an IPO, depending on the situation and, and how large we believe the opportunity is. So strategics are either a partner or a potential buyer. I don't see them as direct competition. Yeah, great. Okay, that helps. That, that helps, as Giovanni would say, demystify a little bit about, about, about that pathway. Okay, um, listen, Ori, this has been wonderful. Uh, I, I'm very happy that you were able to, to lend me some time and our listeners some time um, to, to walk through a lot of this and, and give your advice and give your thoughts. Um, in, in, in closing, in terms of reaching out, right? I'm sure people can go to Axelmed's website and I'll include that URL in the show notes. So depending on the platform people are listening on, they can look up or down an inch, click on it, it'll take it right there. Um, are, are you active on LinkedIn? Can, can people connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah. Yes, we, we have both Axelmed LinkedIn and my LinkedIn. Uh, and, uh, and we certainly, the Axelmed LinkedIn is, is very active together with Alex and his team, but also our internal team. And I'm active on LinkedIn as well, uh, maybe less than the fund because there is an associate that is doing that, but I'm certainly responsive and active. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. So I'll include all those links on there. Um, hang on for one minute. We're gonna have a quick discussion offline, but 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 I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan, and appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.